Bonjour, hello and welcome to Close Up on Canada, the podcast from the McGill Institute for the Study of Canada. I'm your host, Daniel Bélan. This season, we are talking about immigration policy in Canada and beyond. Immigration has always been a key aspect of Canadian economic and social life, and thinking about immigration policy in a changing world is a priority. Our guests this season are experts in the field and will be giving us insight into the conversations happening now when it comes to immigration policy in Canada and abroad. In addition to this podcast, the McGill Institute for the Study of Canada will be hosting a two-day conference focused on immigration policy in Canada this fall on October 27 and 28 at the Sofitel Hotel in Montreal. The conference will feature keynotes and roundtables that address broad themes in immigration policy relevant to inform citizens, community leaders, journalists, policymakers, researchers, and students. For more information and to register for this event, please visit mcgill.ca slash misc slash 2022 conference. Today we are talking about immigration policy in Europe, the rise of the far right, and what it means for us here in Canada. We are pleased to be joined today by Terry Givens. Terry is a professor of political science at McGill University, the provost academic lead and advisor on McGill's action plan to address anti-Black racism and the founder of the Center for Higher Education Leadership and Brighter Professional Development. She is the author of the book Radical Empathy, Finding a Path to Bridging Racial Divides. Beyond uh, Radical Empathy, she is the author of books and articles on immigration policy, anti-discrimination politics, and comparative race politics. Hello, Terry, and uh, thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. So let's start off with uh, some background about you and your relationship with this topic of immigration politics in Europe. How did you actually uh, become an expert in that uh, area? Well, I can go back to my undergraduate years at Stanford when I uh, I was I'd been studying French actually since middle school for a variety of reasons. But my first study abroad experience was in France, and it happened to be in April of 1986, which is was a very important time for the far right in France, the Front National. It was when they made their first electoral breakthrough. And so I was a little concerned about you know, what was going on in France. And so a friend of mine connected me with a French family and they invited a, an Algerian student to come and uh, talk with me about what was going on in France on these topics. So that was kind of my first introduction to the politics of immigration in France. And so when I decided to go back to graduate school at UCLA, there was a time when the uh, Republicana or Uh, starting to rise up in Germany. And so I actually wrote in my grad application that I wanted to study immigration and the rise of anti-immigrant parties. And strangely enough, that's what I ended up doing my dissertation on. (laughs) So it wasn't necessarily what I expected to happen. But I mean, if you think about it, you know, I started graduate school in 1993. And that was a time period when the far right was 
kind of on the upswing. You had the Fonesha now that made the, their electrical electoral breakthrough in 1986. You had the Republicana, you had um, various other groups, you know, the in Britain as well. And, um, but also kind of a, a, a rising anti-immigrant sentiment coming out of, you know, for a variety of reasons, obviously. And, but also what I noticed, you know, even back in 1986, but even more so as I was traveling as a graduate student and doing my rec- research in places like uh, France, Germany, Austria, you know, Denmark, and so on, was that there was, there was a stronger linkage between immigration and race. And so what I actually wanted to do was really study the politics of race, but it was easier to approach it from the issue of immigration. And the other last thing I'll add there is that the study of immigration politics was very early, you you know, in Strangely enough, political science hadn't jumped onto this topic um, very much. I mean, I was lucky to work with Gary Freeman, who was one of the first political scientists to study the politics of immigration in Europe and and connected with various other people um, who had kind of been doing that work since the late 70s. So, you know, it's only been in recent years that political science has even had enough people to create a section on immigration. And so... Um, back in the 90s and early 2000s, there was, you know, there was a few of us who were doing that work. And then that's, we, you know, that's really expanded greatly. So, yes, it's, uh, it's an interesting start for this career that brought you to, uh, to Europe. You spend a lot of time uh, uh, in, in Germany, uh, in France and, and beyond. Let's talk about your, your most recent book, uh, The Roots of Racism, The Politics of White Supremacy in the U.S. and Europe. So tell us more about the research that led to this book and what key connections we should be thinking about when it comes to European and North American politics in relationship to uh, race and immigration. Well, I'll I'll start off with talking about kind of what's happening even as we speak, which, you know, became very, very apparent you know, with Trump's election and so on, is that the linkages between, for example, the the Republican Party in the U.S. and kind of far right slash authoritarian oriented um, politicians in Europe has been going on for quite some time, but even more so now and more openly now. And, you know, more mainstream Republicans. I mean, you had that group of Republicans who went to Russia. You know, there's, there've been, uh, you know, a whole group of them and, you know, they had Tucker Carlson from Fox News was in Hungary. And I mean, it's really been interesting watching this growth. And the, the, for me, this was a culmination of what started back in the 90s with studying the far right and immigration politics. And I really became alarmed about the connections between particularly anti-Islam groups in the U.S. and Europe. And so you know, part of it is there's more and more funding that's coming from the U.S., and flooding into Europe, but also coming from Russia and flooding into Europe to support, you know, Marine Le Pen, uh, you know, get builders, other in the Netherlands, and others have been getting funding from funding from Russian sources, from US sources. And the broader implications of that is kind of a, you know, connections between the ideologies they're pursuing. So around 2014, I, I had a conference at when I was at University of Texas at Austin on the linkages between anti-Islamic politicians and groups in the U.S. and Europe, and kind of raising the alarm that, you know, we need to be paying attention to this. And so what I, then when I started looking at this more intensively is, you know, I started to see those historical linkages. 
you know, going back to, you know, why do we even talk about race and how has political sciences as a discipline dealt with this issue? And unfortunately, we haven't dealt with it very well. Uh, we, you know, you can go back actually to, you know, the, the founding of political science, you know, and a lot of the research back then revolved around, unfortunately, you know, the, these connections creating, you know, race in many ways and racism. And so, you know, I, I encourage folks to take a look at the book because I don't want to get into too much details right now. I want to focus more on, on kind of the recent issues, but basically my goal is to show those linkages throughout history from the, the slavery to, you know, the founding of political science to the exclusion of Black and other uh, minority scholars from the academy and how that impacts the research. You know, it's interesting, you know, I talk about the fact that, you know, political science didn't really even study immigration politics. Or, you know, you think about surveys, um, we didn't even include minority groups like, you know, Latinos in the U.S. in survey data until more recently, or Asian. So it's like we're in this big catch-up mode of trying to, you know, figure out how do we incorporate perspectives of different groups. And, you know, obviously the the underlying issue is white supremacy, you know, and, and whiteness as being the norm. And so, is interesting. A colleague uh, on Twitter was posting um, about how when you bring in just a woman's perspective, you know, in something like archaeology, they can tell you, you know, the the or, or actually is anthropology. Well, you know, they were trying to figure out why they put knives in the ceilings of of homes, and it's like, well, be, to keep them away from the kids. <laughs> you know? It's like these, you know, and basic things like that, and you know, understanding, you know, why do why are immigration policies the way they are? Well, they're trying to keep people out from certain countries. In my work, I really talk about that conflation of immigration policy and race slash racism, that oftentimes those policies are developed specifically with the idea of excluding certain groups of people. So you look at what happened in the UK with the, you know, the, the groups of, of people from Jamaica and other, um, the Windrush generation that were basically told you don't have citizenship, even though they were born as British subjects. And of course, the people who were targeted were people, you know, Black people from the Caribbean and so on. It's being able to use those lenses and because, you know, we, we try to figure out causality and we're leaving out a whole set of variables that because we, we don't have that perspective. So my goal is to get political, to shake political science up and say, look, you know, you can't exclude these variables when you're talking about, you know, what, why are we getting the policies we're getting or why are we seeing politicians acting the way they are? So if we talk about the current trends in terms of the, the rhetoric over, over race and white supremacy, how has this political discourse evolved in, uh, in, in recent years? Do you see, of course, some historical continuity, but also some shifts over time in, in the way uh, these issues are, are part of uh, political debates and, and, and discourse? Absolutely, because when I was studying the radical right in the mid-90s, people were saying, oh, they're just a flash in the pan and you know, they're going away. And, and, and there was even, you know, my first book on this topic, which came out of my dissertation, um, Voting Radical Right in Western Europe, talks about how electoral systems were in many ways, like in Germany, designed to keep the far right out. Well, what's happened is, as the mainstream right politicians, you know, see the success, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a cycle thing, you know, so, you know, the far right rhetoric, you know, is taken up by, you know, a lot of voters, especially uh, left wing 
formerly left-wing voters who start to vote for these far-right politicians. And then the mainstream politicians take it on. So you can think of Nicolas Sarkozy, um, uh, you know, David Cameron, um, even still, uh, you know, to a certain extent, Angela Merkel in what, the ways they talk about immigration. So what I've seen over this the time period of my research is the things that far-right politicians were saying in the 90s have, is now what mainstream politicians are saying and very blatantly coming out and saying, yes, we want to put up walls and put people into detention and so on. And unfortunately, what that's done is just given more fuel to the far right. And so what you have, so then you see the AfD in Germany, the alternative for Deutschland, getting into the German parliament. You see Marine Le Pen's party winning 80 seats, you know, I mean, and it's, it's because those discourses have shifted to the center, but guess who capitalizes on that? It's the far right who capitalizes on it because it's like, oh, look, we're we're now part of them. And that's exactly what Marine Le Pen was trying to do in this last presidential election is to show that she's more part of the mainstream. So anyway, it's it's been a very disturbing um, you know, thing, because um, one of the things I point to is when David Cameron and Nicolas Sarkozy and and. Uh, Angela Merkel, all within the space of a few months, were saying, you know, multiculturalism is dead or multiculturalism isn't working. Culturalism isn't working. Well, tell me what multiculturalism is, first of all, and how you've actually been practicing it. <laughs> because most, I mean, basically, you know, the Netherlands was one of the places where people focused on and that this is where multiculturalism is happening, but they gave up on it in the early 2000s. So I don't think anybody in Europe has been really practicing multiculturalism, except to a certain extent at the local level, certainly. So it was kind of disingenuous for them all three to jump up and say, oh, well, multiculturalism is dead. And it seemed very coordinated at the time. But in any case, yeah, so we've seen this rhetorical evolution, and it's getting frighteningly worse (laughs) with time. Yes, it's sometimes a bit uh, paradoxical to see something that never existed is dead uh, in in Mm -hmm. one specific country. Um, but let's let's talk about the future. We've talked uh, quite a bit about the past and what has happened in recent years. Where do you see, of course, you know, knowing that social scientists are not good at predicting the future, but in terms of... <laughs> yeah, we're pretty bad at it. <laughs> yeah. So, so where do you see the, the conversations, the, 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 the debates over uh, immigration and, and racism uh, evolving uh, over the next, say, decade? Uh, and, and what should we be focusing on in terms of the, the, major, um, the major issues that really are uh, facing us and, and are likely to, to become maybe even more problematic moving forward? Right. And I think, you know, it's going to be different from country to country. So I, let's start with Canada. And I think one of the things that we're, the evolution on this topic that we're seeing in Canada is this idea that, um, you know, let, we can start with Quebec, for example, some of the prohibitions they're, they're implementing, which you know, are going to have disparate impact on minority communities. Um, you know, on the one hand, Quebec says they want more French speaking immigrants, but on the other hand, they're making it more difficult for people from uh, Muslim backgrounds and so on to want to come to Quebec. So um, I think what we're going to have to watch out for in the you know, going forward is ways that countries are tweaking their immigration policies. And in the case of Canada, even provinces to, you know, incorporate um, approaches to policy that may be, that are having disparate impact. And who's getting detained? 
even looking more closely at you know who's being admitted and you know with favorable status and and so on i mean there's there's all different ways to look at immigration policy but um if we don't look at that conflation of not just race but religion immigration race and religion are, are the key factors here that we're going to be missing out um, uh, in our analyses of, of some of the underlying factors that are driving policy. Um, so basically what we're seeing now is that politicians feel emboldened in many ways to be, you know, I mean, Trump was up there talking about, you know, Mexicans sending us their worst people in, in the U.S. And, and being rapists and all that, you know, very stark language. And not, not that anybody you know, is picking up on that as much now, but that I think we're going to be seeing major divides. You know, I think in Canada, there's still very, very favorable opinion towards uh, immigration more generally than there is in the U.S. And that's going to vary, like I said, from country to country. In Europe, I think Brexit was is an example of, you know, what's going to be happening, but we're going to have to watch these, you know, Hungary and Poland to see what happens there. We're going to need to look at what types of issues are popping up. I mean, you know, I think climate change is going to impact immigration dramatically. It already is, actually is going to. Climate change is impacting immigration dramatically, period, end of story. And we're going to see more and more people flowing into Europe as climate refugees. And, you know, that's going to have a, a big impact on, you know, numerical issues which the ways that you know the EU is going to deal with that um, is going to be very you know it's been you know they had a really hard time with those negotiations um, on the refugee issues and you know that I think was in part you know what brought down Angela Merkel though I think she was also she'd been chancellor for a long time so it's time for her to step down but um, you know it's a really tough issue for politicians and how to manage it and um, you know. So, I mean, we don't want to see more Brexits. Yes, that's a, that's a major challenge because uh, European Union, of course, with so many countries now that it's, uh, that there are so many differences in terms of, you know, the way people perceive immigration. Uh, former Eastern European countries have a very different experience with immigration than, say, France or Germany and, uh, or even in Germany itself, differences between the former, you know, uh, uh, East and, and West Germany. So I, I think there are a lot of uh, uh, challenges uh, uh, moving uh, moving forward. So thank you so much, uh, uh, Terry, for this, uh, this fascinating uh, discussion. Yes, it's been great to talk to you today. That was Terry Givens, Professor of Political Science at McGill University. Terry will also be a speaker at our upcoming conference on immigration policy happening on October 27 and 28 in Montreal at the Sofitel Hotel. For more information and to register for this event, please visit mcgillca slash mist slash 2022 conference. To learn more about the McGill Institute for the Study of Canada, our academic programs and our public events, please visit us at mcgill.ca slash misc, M-I-S-C. You can also follow us on Twitter at miscan, M-I-S-C-C-A-N, and of course, subscribe for more episodes of our podcast, Close Up on Canada. Thank you to our producer, Blair Elliott, and the staff at MISC. And thank you for listening. Take care. À la prochaine.